passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome back, everyone, to Post Wrestling and our quarterly catch-up with Brandon Thurston of WrestleNomics, a man that was extremely busy this week. We're going to be getting into all of that, but... Right off the bat, Brandon, are you ready to dive into the treasure chest of WWE today? Yeah, the treasure chest, as Vince calls it. And, and he only spoke for like 30 seconds, maybe 60 seconds. And I think we have firmly entered the era where Vince is going to speak publicly as little as possible. Um, Laura Martin didn't even bother to try this time. No, she did not. I... I will blame you that I will not be able to listen to Vince McMahon on these calls any longer the same way after after hearing your well uh, <laughs> your your leaked audio that you were able to share recently on on WrestleNomics that was a, a brilliant job for those that want to go back I believe you put this out uh, 2 weeks ago on your podcast uh, the the unaired WWE yes. conference call prior to WrestleMania, real exclusive on your part, uh, which yes. I thought was dead on and really, really well put together. I, I thought we're it was still, hysterical. We are still working to confirm the authenticity of that piece of audio, which was mysteriously, anonymously transmitted to me through blockchain. But uh, a very interesting piece of audio. You can listen to it on WrestleNomics Radio about two weeks ago. Is it an NFT yet? Are you able to bid on this? No, it's, we don't really know who owns it. That's the thing, I guess. But uh, maybe I will just have to sort of de facto claim ownership. Well, there's uh, so much to go through here. Uh, coming out of the first quarter earnings report, it was uh, yet another strong quarter from WWE, uh, outdoing what analysts expected, a uh, net income of over uh, $43 million and revenue of $263.5 million. And it seems like the... Uh, the analysts were maybe not expecting this big upfront payment from Peacock that was pretty sizable and lifted the earnings this quarter. Yeah. So what really drove this, like you said, it's the upfront money apparently from Peacock. Usually with these media deals, they are escalating over time. The Peacock deal is a five-year deal, just like the Raw and SmackDown US deals are five-year deals. Uh, but there's apparently in the first year, maybe especially in the first quarter, uh, really big upfront payments. I don't totally understand why there's some some vague explanation about the transfer of intellectual property and subscribers i'm guessing that we felt that their 
might be a sort of a lame duck period with subscribers where they're not going to uh, have a lot of subscribers in this transition period. So there might be sort of a gap. And to make up for that, maybe uh, they've they got a lot of upfront up money from Peacock. So I think year one is going to be their, the biggest year of this five year deal. Year two will probably be lower. And then from there, it'll escalate from year two. But uh, yeah, almost $80 million in the network segment this time, um, which is up from I they, they never really went past $50 million, at least in the last few quarters in that segment. So that was really big. And, and uh, I think just that's that uh, uncertainty on how to estimate that piece of business for W this quarter is what led to a lot of analysts uh, underestimating it. When I, when I put my models together at first, I had I had a really high number in there. And uh, I, then I saw what the uh, the consensus EPS was. And I figured oh, I must be getting something wrong here. And then I sort of re- refigured my calculation and, and it ended up closer to the average analyst estimate. But uh, but yeah, this is also, by the way, the end of the W Network subscriber count. I thought maybe we would still get an international subscriber mm-hmm. count, but we did not. That slide has been stripped from the KPIs document and uh, not even in I looked through the 10Q. It's not not in the, the big quarterly report either. Yeah, that was an interesting part of of the actual rollout of of the earnings report of seeing you know how how much information was going to be disclosed, and it seems that when it comes to the WWE network, um, this is going to be the, the least transparent we we've ever seen of how the network is performing uh, since it launched seven years ago. And I I think we look at this as well. It seems like they're also so a lot of these popularity metrics that we we go to uh, for these earnings report to kind of get a glimpse into all of that. I mean, even down to television viewership, that's been a, a hot button issue on these calls. You know, Nick Khan outlining the fact that we are looking at the same thing buyers are, and that's digital viewing, streaming, uh, linear viewership. That's just one piece uh, of the puzzle. So it's it's almost that if we're trying to look for things like there is a lot that is not going to be publicly available in these earnings reports that we had in the past that could kind of lean on for, for a better viewpoint of how certain areas are performing. Yeah. And, and COVID too has complicated that um, with merchandise, their e-commerce, their online merchandise business is doing really well. And it's really making up almost completely for the lack of any of any merchandise, but we don't really know. How, I don't really know how to compare that to, to the pre COVID era. There's, there's obviously no ticket sales happening. Uh, analyzing TV ratings. I, I think I've come up with a good way by looking at the top 50 cable programs and sort of comparing the year-over-year attrition in that to the year-over-year attrition in, in any, any given wrestling program. Um, there's good old Google web search out there still, which mm-hmm. in, uh, on a year-over-year basis, W has, has been declining for a number of years in a row. Um, so there's there's those sort of things that we can look at. But as, in terms of things from W Network and their public filings, it's, it's getting smaller and smaller. Uh, they said... In, in this call, as Nick Khan did in, in his interview with Colin Coward just before WrestleMania, that, uh, you know, Peacock has been a huge success. Stephanie McMahon called WrestleMania the most viewed live event in Peacock's young history. Um, they're talking about looking for, looking for similar deals as well uh, internationally. But we don't get any sort of idea of, you know, how popular was this WrestleMania compared to others. You know, this, this era of tracking pay-per-view buys, which turned into tracking W Network subscribers. That era has, has solidly come to an end here. It would be very interesting to, and and I don't expect like this to necessarily be be answered on any of these calls. But the the structure of the Peacock deal, I mean, a little bit with Christina Salen noting that the 
you know, the, the Peacock deal, you know, she mentioned like SummerSlam, you might see a, a larger amount that, that quarter. But is there, is this just a straight licensing fee that Peacock is paying every year that they know down to the dollar will be paid each year? Is there an incentive structure in place as well that if WWE outdoes its performance, there is something, there's a bonus structure in place there? Uh, cause that's kind of the model that we could compare with UFC and, ESPN plus um, that, you know, it, it appears from the reporting that is out there that it's, you know, whether the UFC comes out with a gigantic Conor McGregor level pay-per-view or just a run of the mill title fight, like they are insured the same amount each month from ESPN plus. I, I would think it's guaranteed money. Uh, I, I, I do recall that comment that Christina Salen, who is the, the chief financial officer made, where she made it made it sound like there was payment tied specifically to the airing of, of pay-per-view events. But there were no questions by the analysts about, about um, whether WWE is incentivized to perform well or to especially attract subscribers, whether they're compensated more if they attract more versus less. That's totally unclear. I, I would think it's you know part of what WWE wants here is to de-risk their business and to have even predictable revenues over over their entire year. So I, I would think that it's... um that it's pretty predictable and guaranteed and they have a really good idea of what they're going to be generating in terms of revenue. Uh, they're not ready to give any more specific guidance and uh, about what they expect in terms of revenue or their favorite profit metric adjusted to EBITDA. And that's mostly just because of the uncertainty around live events in particular, the large scale international events. Don't call them Saudi Arabia events that, uh, I, I'm sort of modeling it, and I think a lot of analysts are modeling, and we'll probably get one in late in the year here. I really think we're we're just a few steps away from that term being trademarked to actually brand these events. WWE presents large-scale international event this week on the WWE Network. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see how they how they uh, language that on the TV if they're going to say something similar or if they're actually going to say Saudi Arabia. What did we learn in terms of live events? I mean, these were certainly alluded to on the call, but what what did you take in terms of their the, their strategy this year when it comes to live events beyond just the weekly television? Um, not that much. It's more sort of a solidification of what they had said earlier. They don't expect live events to happen in the first half of the year. They pretty strongly do expect the live events to happen sometime in the second half of the year. So maybe maybe by you know, early Q4, that would be October, maybe. Um, we didn't get any sort of impression about, you know, the, what everybody likes to talk about is, are they ever going to do house shows again? I don't think I got any insight uh, into whether or not they're going to do house shows um, again. But, uh, you know, maybe something by SummerSlam, I've just separately, I've, I think I've, there's been some reports there that maybe they'll do another uh, another ticketed event for SummerSlam. But, uh, yeah, we know that they made about was a $6.2 million in, in ticket sales for WrestleMania. Uh, Stephanie said 50,000 people, uh, attended WrestleMania, the power of belonging. Uh, she, she gave a, a very, uh, descriptive and poetic, uh, uh, representation of, of WrestleMania in the earnings call. Um, but we've got documents from, the Tampa Sports Authority showing that paid attendance was about 40,000. I think 40,602, I think is the number. Uh, a few more tickets than that were distributed. A few less than that actually attended, maybe just due to COVID hesitancy, maybe due in part to uh, an overeager secondary market. So, 
as of now, like next year, like it's clearly it's been promoted as such as a one night event. But I did find it interesting when when Stephanie McMahon, it was with Bill Simmons, you know, she was pretty clear in her preference over splitting up WrestleMania over two nights and agreeing that it's too long an event in its in its past form over the last several years. Like, certainly, I think that there's the ability that if they feel strongly enough that they could change things. But I guess, what do you think goes into that decision making process? And how much of the performance on on Peacock, like does does Peacock have uh, probably say in the matter? Because that's where, to me, it goes to like this bonus structure, like where would WWE, WWE be incentivized to incur the expenses of a second night of WrestleMania, probably not be able to sell the same amount of tickets to both nights. And if they're not being paid more by Peacock, I guess, what, where where are WWE incentivized to do two nights? I think it, it probably just comes down to, to Vince. And you, know, you never know when Vince is going to have some kind of weird, you know, uh, peeve about something or about whether, he, whether or not he wants to make it two nights. Um, but I, I do think making it two nights would probably, would, yeah, I think it would almost certainly lead to greater ticket revenue. Um, you think about like in, in past years, like WrestleMania has just barely sold out or maybe in some years I think maybe came close to selling out but not quite. But I think having say, you know, 120,000 tickets available versus 60,000, I think you'd get a lot of people who just, you know, who in you know in a one night scenario would attend one, but a lot of people in a two night scenario would attend two. I, I think so too. Probably... I think it'd be a pretty healthy percentage that are traveling or they've they're planning to go Sunday and I'm already spending this much on this weekend. What's another hundred hundred and fifty bucks for a yeah. ticket the Saturday night? I I think like it might not. F- I would be very surprised if they could fill a stadium that large two nights in a row. But I think overall, I still think it would be a net positive. Yeah, and I and I, I know W is not a wrestling company, and they're only focused on themselves. But you have the example in New Japan, who's just kind of run the experiment for them in a different market, but with, with their two night uh, Tokyo Dome before the pandemic, they did that. Um, but I, I think it's 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 a way to you know in a in a one night scenario in a non pandemic situation, you you draw somewhere between fifteen and seventeen million dollars in ticket revenue and you can probably get close to doubling that probably short of doubling that but but nearly doubling that and it would probably be more expensive yes but you're still doing it in a fixed location so it's not as if you're uh tearing down that set moving it to another stadium which which would make it a lot more expensive um i I would imagine peacock would have uh you know no issue i mean they they oh i think peacock would want it like if these you know this this reception to this past WrestleMania, I have no reason to dispute that. I'm sure they would absolutely love to have two nights of WrestleMania over one, for sure. Yeah. And we're in this period now where W has this enormous roster, and it has two really uh, prominent flagship shows, not to mention NXT. Uh, so I think, you know, it, as, as everybody knows, these shows otherwise are going to be seven hours long or whatever. So it's probably the best thing for the business, and it's probably the best thing for uh, – for their fans. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of positive feedback about, okay, that was, that was a lot easier than, than it usually is with WrestleMania being two nights. Uh, Nick Khan was of course, uh, pretty much spearheading the call. And I thought, um, being very forthright in his expectations about, I mean, flat out stating he does not believe that the NHL's relationship with NBC will continue after the conclusion of their their existing deal, which has been a very long-term relationship between the two entities. And I mean, 
to me, it was like very uh, Khan was very much flexing his knowledge of what is going to be happening down the road with Apple, with the NHL. And I mean, just just spilling the tea here, Brandon. Yeah, this this was a Nick Khan podcast, I think, is what this earnings <laughs> call was. This was pro- prognosticator Nick Khan, given his thoughts about the media business. I, I saw uh, someone who's a, a former executive uh, for a, a major network tweeting that, um, you know, is he actually going to talk about the, the earnings here? Or is he just going to give sort of his his uh, his musings on, on the media business? <laughs> um, so he talked. I think the biggest takeaway here, this, and this is just sort of my speculation analysis He's talking big about um, Amazon and, and even introducing Apple into the, the conversation with the idea that, you know, Apple is obviously making this play for the NFL. He's suggesting that, uh, you know, Amazon is going to have Thursday night exclusive in the next round of, of the NFL deal. But he's speculating that Amazon might be negotiating to uh, to get that Thursday night exclusive before the new deal kicks in. Um, and also, like I said, introducing uh, Apple is possibly getting an, interested in live or live sports content. So I, th- I think what's happening here is he's sort of showing that uh, in, in the next round of U.S. negotiations, which are, you know, the most important piece of business that W has, uh, they probably stay uh, on NBC Universal with Raw. They probably stay on, on the USA Network because they're so involved with NBC Universal in terms of now with Peacock and with the reality programming that's on E. Um, but maybe SmackDown is, is the thing that gets negotiated most aggressively. So I think it's, if, if I'm Fox and I'm paying attention to, to this earnings call, that's, that's interesting that I don't know that Fox was mentioned at all, but, uh, but Amazon and Apple certainly were. So, but that, that's the big thing for media rights and, and sports rights is that, oh, are these, these fan companies, these big tech companies, which are some of the most valuable companies in the world. Are they going to get involved in bidding for live sports rights? Because if they do, that's even better for uh, companies that own valuable live sports content like WWE. And also making it very clear, as I think everyone assumed after the Peacock deal, that that is going to be their strategy of just licensing out these these rights in all regions of the world following you know what what they started with here in Canada with, with Rogers and just seeing the value. It just seems like we are going to create as much content as possible and sell it for as much as possible. And that's going to be the strategy of the network. Yeah. They, they've done it in Canada with Rogers. They've done it in India with Sony. Sony live is the distributor of the W network in India. And Sony is also their TV partner. Now they're doing it in the U S with Peacock through NBCU. I guess I think we might have talked about this last time. The biggest market that's left then would be the UK. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't know enough about the UK media ecosystem to speculate about who would be a potential partner there. But the UK would be the biggest partner left. Um, maybe Australia, uh, maybe something in the MENA region. But yeah, that's uh, that's that's what they want to do. And it, and it sort of, as I said earlier when we were talking about the, the W Network, it, it de-risks the business to not have to rely on the volatility of subscribers, but to get these larger media businesses that have far greater resources to just pay you up front for it. And uh, it speaks to the big pivot that I see between the Barrios era and the Nikon era, where in the Barrios era, I think Barrios envisioned WB as you know, learning from the lessons of the tech of, of the big tech companies where we're going to have our own streaming service. We're going to harness his data and get a lot of value out of data. And the Nikon era is more about saying, okay, that's not our area of expertise. 
we don't have the massive resources uh, to do something like that necessarily, but uh, we can sell our content, our very valuable intellectual property to, to these businesses that have massive resources and can pay us large fees up front and then can execute uh, that strategy with their streaming service uh, in part by using our very valuable content and IP to do it. Do you take a step back and look at, I mean, when you outline the characteristics and what we have seen implemented from the George Barrios, Michelle Wilson regime to Nick Khan, it just seems like two like polar opposite philosophies to the core of this industry. And you go back a year, we were still in that volatility period where the presidency seats, like there was, they had been vacated with Barrios and Wilson being let go. Frank Riddick is there as the interim CFO, but this is pre-Nikcon, pre-Christina Salen. And from one year to the next, where this company sits, like that is a radical shift that they underwent. And yes, the stock took a, a big hit when Barrios and Wilson left, but it is quite extraordinary when you see like how rapidly they shifted such an, uh, an immense uh, viewpoint of the network and largely the, their strategy going from one end of the spectrum to the other. Yeah, I, I think this is where I think we have to give Vince some credit here and, and maybe Stephanie McMahon too. Um, Vince is the one who made the decision in January 2020 mm -hmm. to abruptly fire Barris and Wilson, which maybe wasn't the best way to go about that because it did upset the stock price, as you mentioned. Um, but he's the one who, who kind of decided, right, that you know doing the network as they were, uh, trying to attract subscribers, direct to consumer was not the best way to go. And the best way to go was to sell their rights uh, to a major streaming service. Um, I wonder too, if, you know, do you, do you get a Nikon and, and the, or even Christina Salen, uh, to be major executives in your company? Uh, if WWE had not done what it's done in the last 10 years or so to improve its brand image, which has pretty much been Stephanie's mission all this time since she's been chief brand officer. Um, Vince said one of the few things he did say on this call is that he feels that they've got the best management team that they've ever had. And, uh, I don't, I, I, I don't, yeah, yeah, I don't doubt that. Um, and like I said, I, I, I think part of that is just being able to recruit the quality of talent that they have now in their C-suite, right? Like, I don't know if, if this is, a uh, uh, the attitude era company that you're able to get a major uh, talent agent from CAA to come in and be your your CRO and president. So so maybe that's a that's a factor as well that uh, W is better able to attract the, the right kind of talent that they need at the right moment. And, and in this case, it's somebody like Nikon who's uh, very experienced uh, in in negotiating uh, very valuable media deals, um, and that's that's clearly the the mission of their company now is to get the most out of out of those deals. For, from your perspective, Brandon, what's uh, been like the the user experience for this uh, transfer over to Peacock and specifically over WrestleMania weekend? Uh, because, well, obviously, us in Canada don't have the opportunity to view this uh, the the Peacock migration. Yeah, it's um, I think it's a there's been a lot of upheaval among uh, my friends on Twitter who are used to getting access to the archives. Um, that stuff is not as much there anymore right like there's i think there's only a handful of wcw pay-per-views on on the network right now um there's suspicion that uh, the the full archive will never get there wb has put out a press release saying that uh, by SummerSlam it'll all be over there 
I asked Rick Cordell, who's the CRO of Peacock, whether it would, it would really be all over there. Would, would the territory content like mid South and mid Atlantic and world-class, is that all really going to go over? He said it would. Um, Peacock then, demands after, after, those mid Atlantic tapes. They are not going to fall, but fall through the cracks. Absolutely. But after that, there was, uh, you know, the, the Roddy Piper and bad news Brown match edited out. There's the, uh, the Survivor Series 2005 segment with uh, Vince McMahon and, and encountering Booker T. That was edited out. So I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, I haven't heard anything new that's been edited. I think I think the uh, the uh, Triple H Nation of Domination uh, DX Blackface segment has been edited out wherever that was appearing. But uh, I, I, I'm kind of confident that they'll get everything over there. Um, as somebody who likes to watch old wrestling now and then though it is disappointing not being able to have that huge archive uh of the w network the, the huge library that they have across all, all these different uh territorial brands over the years but um yeah it, it's it seems okay i know there were issues with the the pausing and things like that that's not something personally that i really used but uh yeah hopefully it will get better with time and at least it is about half the price than it was before yeah, we're very spoiled here in Canada. Like from the time that that Rogers became the distributor, it's its own channel. Uh, if you if you have the package, so I mean, we really take that for granted. And that's, I mean, that deal is coming up. That was a ten year deal they signed in two thousand fourteen yeah. for Raw, SmackDown, right. and to distribute the network, which is like like a pretty brilliant deal that um, Rogers Sportsnet was able to um, land. Uh, for that significant amount of time in, in 2014 and where what, – what the Canadian media landscape will be like uh, several years from now. Rogers has – they're still in the midst of an enormous uh, NHL deal that they have paid a, a great, great amount for uh, of what their – what what their appetite will be for just re- I'm sure they want to renew, but at, at how much given you know a 10-year gap between their last deal? Yeah. Interestingly, when I was doing uh, some research recently – about WWE's, uh, about just looking at the Hollywood Reporter articles that came out in 2018 when WWE made its new US TV deals. And those mentioned that WWE was in the middle of negotiating a 10 year deal with NBC Universal, which I had not remembered or I don't know if I had read that at the time. But then Nick Khan came in and said, wait, no, we're going to split the rights between, of, of Raw and SmackDown and, and sell SmackDown to Fox or to somebody else. Um, so that was interesting. Um, we also got some information here about NXT. Um, NXT, uh, has moved to Tuesday. Uh, Nick Khan, in, in uh, his uh, further prognostications, said that he believes that NBC and and the NHL are done doing business at the end of this term; that they're not going to renew. So I've been under the impression that you know the biggest reason for NXT moving from Wednesday to Tuesday has got to be that NBC Sports Network is shutting down. That's where Wednesday night hockey lives in the U.S. and. Uh, so they're probably going to put Wednesday Night Hockey on the USA Network. He says no. NBC and the NHL are are done doing business, and uh, it, it, that didn't have anything to do with it. So uh, now now WWE only focuses on themselves. Everything is competition for them. So uh, they're not worried about AEW, of course. But uh, but he's really happy with. They're really pleased with how the ratings are doing. And, uh, they, they, this is, so you can, you can kind of see when Nikon says this, it matches up with things that Paul Levesque said about the Monday to Tuesday and how that's some kind of a lead in effect, you know, robbing on Monday and NXT being on Tuesday. I'm not sure how much I believe that, but, um, you can, you can see that they were both in the same meeting where this, uh, this message was formulated. 
<laughs> um, but NXT uh, announced a new multi-year deal, which they announced in conjunction with their announcement that they were moving to Tuesday. Um, and there were some questions about whether uh, whether that new deal changes anything in, in how the analysts should formulate their financial estimates. And Christina Salem basically said no. They're very pleased with the new deal, but it doesn't really change their guidance. So what I read from that is that the NXT deal, uh, the new one, which will go into effect this fall, they'll start getting paid for it later this fall in Q4, uh, is not a big upgrade. Or if it is a big upgrade, it's it's from such a low point anyway that it doesn't make a huge difference to their business. I, I, I found uh, some, some SEC, SEC correspondence with WWE recently, which is dated from June, um, which I hadn't come across yet, dated from June 2020. And anyway, it, it led me to to believe that uh, the NXT deal is probably worth somewhere around $20 million. There's a number of scenarios and variables that you can play with, but the most plausible scenarios to me are, are one, ones in which the math works out so that NXT is worth about $20 million per year in, in the first term, the first two years. So I would imagine it's worth probably about the same. This is a, a company that generates a billion dollars in revenue per year, so $20 million is not a massive deal. And when you renew that deal and raise it or you know, get a get a, a, a no raise new deal or slightly lower. It doesn't make a huge difference to your to your business and to how you would estimate uh, you know revenues going forward. So that that's what I what I think about the NXT deal. I think it's a relatively small deal, twenty million dollars per year. If you compare that to SmackDown, two hundred five million dollars per year. Those are both two hour programs. Three hour program Raw, two hundred sixty five million dollars per year. And I'm talking about the U S region, obviously. Uh, AEW is forty four million dollars per year. So they're more than double what, if I'm right, they're more than double what, what NXT is. But but then again, AEW is ranking more highly um, on uh, at least in P, P18 to 49 than uh, than NXT is. So yeah, we'll see how AEW is able to renegotiate their terms uh, next time. But uh, yeah, that's that's what we learned about NXT. Yeah, and uh, Nick Khan among the competitors that they face is also people that might make the decision that tonight I'm going to sit back and I'm going to text all night, which yes. I'm not uh, disputing that some people may fall into that, but I, I don't think I've ever said to myself, you know what, tonight, <laughs> my plans, texting. I'm going to sit back. I'm yes. texting all night. Well, that, that just proves that you're a millennial, not 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 Gen Z. No, I'm uh, a, I'm, a, I'm but, out of the uh, loop, so uh, <laughs> a very real thing. Um, in terms of you know, we're we're still just two weeks into NXT and AEW being unopposed. Certainly, I think AEW has uh, outdone many people's expectations. Um, the fact that this week, uh, just over 1.1 million viewers, uh, after seeing the numbers last week, Brandon, did you expect that they were going to be able to retain uh, at this level uh, week two? I I figured uh, over under for this week was one million. They still did one point one million, so they performed, I guess, a little bit over what I was expecting. Um, the key demo is not moving as much. No, so I don't know that Turner and or AEW is is as excited about that as maybe the wrestling fan world is because we get to the uh, the, the grand milestone of seven figures here with a million viewers. But uh, I, I think it's um, it's exciting that to, to see that uh, AEW is is growing its viewership and it, and it appears to be. I, I know the torch has reported some DVR uh, viewership information that makes it look as if 
Um, it's not just that people are watching less on DVR and now are watching more live same day, but that their DVR viewership is holding up pretty well as well. So it seems as if they're adding viewers, in fact. So I wonder if that's just um, now that those two programs, NXT and AW, are not running head to head, there's just less confusion and indecision about which one to watch. And you know exactly what program is on what night. And maybe that's just making the the experience simpler for the for the wrestling fan who's uh, thinking about watching wrestling in prime time. But um, yeah, we'll see. I think um, AEW has got a great argument uh, if they continue to do the ratings that they're doing for the next year or two. I think they've got a great argument that they're well undervalued. They're ranking number they ranked number two in P eighteen forty nine for two weeks in a row, and they are improving a little bit in P eighteen forty nine. Uh, they can't beat MTV's challenge just yet, but uh, you know you've got uh, significantly. I don't know. They've they're AEW is doing like a point four in, in the key demo right now. Say uh, Raw is doing something like a point six, SmackDown doing similar. So that's the difference there. But the difference in what they're getting uh, in in terms of a TV rights fee is huge uh, compared to that. So there's a great argument that AEW is well undervalued uh, considering what they're being paid now and that in their next deal, uh, which might be negotiated around the same time that the W deal is being negotiated around 2023, and uh, we could see AEW get a really big increase. But probably still valued well below what Raw and SmackDown are valued, but a lot more than $44 million per year. Do, do you look at, at the two any differently just in terms of the entire full view of, of each company and where it's trying to direct its audience? Like for AEW, it's, it's very, it's heavily contingent on that, that key demo because they are, they are needing like advertising support. And to spe- if you are a fan of AEW, you're largely asked to spend four times a year on a pay-per-view and watch the show. That is like the business model of the company, absent live events. With a product like NXT for any of the WWE products, a huge contingent of it is, you know, we want to use this to build our emerging uh, streaming platform. And there's just a lot of different areas where, yes, we want our main demo. But when you look at the overall we're not breaking down demos when it comes to streaming numbers. We we don't care if you're 100 years old. If you have a credit card and can sign up, you're a value to us. And AEW, they have not entered that space yet where you can truly get the value, I think, out of your, your entire audience as opposed to a segment of it. Yeah, and, and you know, hopefully in the next several months, we'll be in an era where tickets are being sold. Um, merchandise is still being sold. And as you mentioned, pay-per-views for AEW are being sold, although it's only uh, four times a year, but, um, I don't know. I, I, I think AEW's focus on, on the demo is more about, um, what Turner tells them to do. And, uh, they're, they're not in a position to question their, their TV, uh, their TV partner that pays them, you know, the majority of their revenue probably, or, or close to it. So I think there's a lot of value in every TV subscriber, regardless of, what their age is because now older people, I guess, are going to die more soon than, than younger people are. And 1849 might tell you something about what the future of, of your TV subscribership is going to look like. But every home that's tuned into your program represents a home that's paying a cable subscription. And that's what accounts for the majority of uh, cable networks revenue. It's not advertising. Advertising is about a third. And, uh, subscriptions affiliate fees mm-hmm. are about two-thirds so I, I think there's there's huge value still in in every viewer even though 
uh, advertising to that advertising to people over the age of 50 is not very valuable. So I don't know if, I don't know if that's, I forget what your original question was. No, 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 that's totally (laughs) makes sense. I just, it's something I've always looked at that, you know, if we're, if we're looking at a show like, like the challenge, like if you're looking at this from the pure television perspective, like there's like how you monetize and make money off of a show like that. It's pro wrestling is just a different beast because there are many other ways historically that you can make, you know, money off of your audience that it's, you know, for it's one value for your television partner. It's another for a company that can, you know, make money different ways. Like a, a a sitcom is not doing live events multiple times a week. Uh, A sitcom is not, you know, heavily into merchandise and such. So wrestling is this Mm -hmm. unique animal where I think that there is value, but you know, it's, you know, relative to your different segments, of course. Absolutely. Uh, We'll end off here because I guess the the next big date uh, for a large scale event, that's going to be the annual meeting of stockholders happening on May 27th. And based on this week with a lot of shakeup behind the scenes at WWE, are you expecting this to sort of be the introduction of kind of your new front facing team for WWE with you know, a lot of new hires that have been made. Um, this is typically that time where we get the procession of speeches from the key departments. And I imagine a lot of new faces that will be introduced to those WWE stockholders. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of who spoke last time. I think most of the people who spoke last time, with the exception, I guess, of, of interim CFO Frank Riddick, who's still on the board of directors, I think they're all still there. I know Jared Donlin spoke. I'm pretty sure he's still with WB. I mean, I guess we could see some of these new hires that uh, Nick Khan has made. Uh, there's two or three just announced recently, just the other day. Um, but yeah, May 27th is the, is the annual shareholders meeting. I'm not sure we're going to get audio of it. I'm hoping we will. Last year is the first time I've ever heard a, an annual shareholders meeting, which is different from these quarterly reports. Totally yes. different thing. Right. They're not going to uh, introduce a bunch of financial information on this. This is a meeting for their shareholders to come in and ask questions. Um, so hopefully we'll get some uh, some audio of it and we'll get some interesting questions. Yeah, it's it's not the usual Q&A that these quarterly uh, earnings calls are where it's stock analysts asking questions that will help them determine their estimate and help them write accurate estimates of W's business. These are shareholders who have. Uh, interests that are nearer to the wrestling fans' interests. They want to see the company succeed, but they're also, you know, they've there's sometimes they're not happy about the ratings. Uh, you know, sometimes they're not happy about the creative. So it's it's a little bit more fun <laughs> uh, if you're looking to see uh, people, you know, question the booking or something like that. Uh, but yeah, we'll see. I, I hope we do get audio, but uh, you know, I'll be uh, I'll be refreshing corporate.w.com that day. They should be doing this in the Thunderdome, Brandon. Just hit hit the cheer buttons. Yeah, As they announced their they should plans be. for global expansion. Nick Khan comes out. We're we're going after Mexico. Cheers, cheers. Yeah. Well, that is going to uh, wind things down here. I guess my final thing, Brandon, is: Had you been able to get on to the Q and A, you get one question. You don't get four questions like Curry Baker. You just get one question. Who would you direct yes. it at, and what would have been your your question that you would have uh, posed to the panel? I guess I like I'm I'm per- personally curious about how how much they see the value of, of NXT and what the what the value of those deals really 
are. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's something that they would answer, <laughs> but, uh, and, and do they see that as a, as a brand that's really, uh, going to grow value in the way that they said it would when they took it off of the network? Um, when they took it off of the network, it didn't really hurt network subscribers, but is it, is it returning the value that they hoped it would when, when they made that decision? Uh, we're now entering the second term of that deal. And, uh, is it, are those, Rights value stagnant? Are they growing? Um, is NXT as an operation, if you sort of in an accounting sense sort of isolated it and counted all of its revenues against its expenses? I don't know if you, you should count the performance center in there or not, but but if you did something like that, is, is NXT now a profit driver or is it actually contributing to more expense than it is revenue? Uh, so what's the deal with that? And uh, you know, I'm sure there's a lot more uh, interesting questions you could ask about the performance center. Um, just what we've seen lately in wrestling, just in, in terms of kind of what AEW has done on a much smaller scale with fewer resources, uh, is the performance center as effective, uh, as it could be considering how much money they spend on it? You know, um, I, I'm not sure. So yeah, just, I guess some NXT and performance center questions are the, are the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. And I think also like in terms, like we, we heard from Nick Khan recently discussing like, like Mexico as a, as a potential spot that they, you know, would be one of these affiliates, but how, especially after a pandemic, the idea of going to all these different locations, the idea of localized performance centers, like that's, that's enormous expenses that, I mean, is it, I guess, do, is that, expense worth what you see as the light at the end of the tunnel of creating unique programming for all these different spots and being able to to sell them as well like where what what is that appetite going to be long term which is a big question yeah you're talking about the the coward interview where he he mentioned that latin america and specifically mexico are regions that he targets as areas of, of growth opportunity internationally and uh, he alluded, uh, not by name, but he alluded to CMLL and AAA. He clarified that he, they're not looking at acquiring either of those companies, but that I, I think maybe the the idea is, you know, Nikon recognizes that look, Mexico, Mexico has a you know a, a, is a country where wrestling is very popular. They have a, they have a huge history of of wrestling, and I wonder if Japan fits in, into that uh, sort of uh, idea as well. Um, I think that makes sense on one, on one hand as a, as a lifelong wrestling fan, I'm, I'm happy that, that he recognizes that, uh, you know, that maybe Mexico is the place to go and then maybe not so much of a focus on China because, you know, at least Mexico has a wrestling history. Uh, but, um, I, I, I do that it's a, it's a, a strategy that could either go really well or it could be a huge disaster. Um, do you want to go into a country where you might be seen as the sort of, uh, big giant corporate enemy who's trying to swallow everybody up. Uh, Mexico is a very different wrestling culture, uh, creatively, mechanically in the ring. You know, we've seen what happened when, uh, people like, uh, uh, Sin Cara, the, the original Mystico was brought into WWE. And I think the, the, a very crude, uh, you know, summary of it is that people didn't think you knew how to wrestle. Now I'm sure p- part of the problem was probably, uh, maybe Sin Cara was difficult to work with in some ways, but, um, they lucha will, will be looked at by by the the status quo of of w producers as they're doing doing a lot of things wrong so are you going to get sort of uh people who are you know 
uh, very familiar with the Lucha style and with the Lucha creative and with the Lucha audience to help you out there. I think it makes a lot more sense in the UK where, um, you know, that that's a major English speaking market where you have a huge WWE history uh, in the UK. But WWE is not the most popular wrestling brand in Mexico. And uh, I think you could say the same about Japan, too. Well, Brandon, we always appreciate the time uh, sitting down, dissecting these earnings calls. Uh, you can find uh, all of this analysis and so much more up at WrestleNomics.com. And uh, what is coming up uh, this weekend? It's been a, a very, very busy week. And uh, people can, of course, support you on Patreon, but uh, give our listeners a preview of what is to come in the WrestleNomics world. Sure. Well, I already have a uh, a I think about a 40 minute podcast that is on Patreon right now, patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. But I'll be recording this weekend, probably recording Sunday, probably releasing the podcast Monday, where I will talk with Chris Gullo about probably about the, uh, we'll probably discuss more about this WQ1 as I comb through the details a little bit more. We'll be discussing the, the WrestleMania attendance with uh, these wonderful audits that I've uh, received, that many of us received from the Tampa Sports Authority, trying to make sense of those um, and whatever else is going on in wrestling business news. Uh, I don't know, maybe we'll, maybe we'll touch on the uh, the drama <laughs> of, uh, of people getting their belongings sent to them in trash bags. But uh, yeah, you can check that out. I have an article about the WrestleMania attendance that is on WrestleNomics.com. I have a couple uh, articles about this uh, WQ1 2021 report that are also on WrestleMomics.com. They're, they're award-winning charts. Like I, yeah. I, I got the, uh, the, the data sent from the Tampa Sports Authority and what you took from what they sent into graphical form. I mean, it's like a before and after picture. That was just stunning what you did. It's, it was really hard to figure out. It was extremely um, complex. I was very impressed with how you uh, did this yes. in like record time as well. So you did a fantastic one job of, with this. And then later that night, one of, one of my colleagues in, in the wrestling journalism space uh, got, got on Skype with me and, and we uh, double checked my math for about an hour and a half. <laughs> and uh, every, everything seems to be okay. So, yeah. Well, there you go. If, if nothing else, Florida, tremendous transparency when it comes to these things. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's, it's Tampa Sports Authority is the manager of Raymond James Stadium, so it's like it's a government-managed venue. So that's why we were able to get that. So that's something to sort of watch for in the future. When Whenever there's a government agency involved, you may be able to make some sort of public records request. Well, Brandon, thanks as always. Uh, you can give him a follow at Brandon Thurston. All of his work can be found at WrestleNomics.com. And that will wrap it up. Uh, we will be back uh, with many shows coming up this weekend, including after UFC 261 in front of a full capacity crowd in Jacksonville, Florida. But that is it for us. Thank you for listening.